in the land of Egypt. A lot of things have transpired in the chapters and verses that we studied. Now we come to the 27th verse in the 47th chapter and we see Israel here dwelling in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly just as the Lord had spoke to him as he was getting ready to leave Beersheba that God would be with him and would bless him and they would become a great nation. Now we see the fulfillment of these prophecies in these verses where they have great possessions and they grew and they multiplied exceedingly. It is interesting that in the land of Egypt the Egyptians are impoverished. But God's people in the land of Egypt and in the area of Goshen is blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we saw Jacob and his family make their way to the land of Egypt. A little over 70 souls all together. And God told him to go up to the land of Egypt and he would be with him and bless him and they would become a great nation. Now they're in the land and the land is suffering famine and the Egyptians are suffering from that famine. But God's people are blessed. Isn't that interesting? Please close that back door for me, that side, that door. Thank you. It's interesting that the Egyptians in their own land are impoverished but God's people who are not in their land are in the land of the Egyptians and they are blessed see the economy you can look at the economy just from the world's viewpoint and the world has downturns and everything else but I tell you I've been pastoring the church this church for over 20 years and no matter what happens in the economy God's people prosper Amen. They're blessed. The rest of the world may be impoverished. The rest of the world may have economic problems. But when you trust God and you live for God, you bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord, and you're faithful to God in serving God, He can bless you even in economic downturns because He's a mighty God. Now listen, I am, I am so thankful today that I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of God and I'm in His kingdom. And He's in control of my blessings. He's in control of my prosperities. He's in control of your prosperity. You have to trust God. You have to look to God. And you have to live for the Lord because God can do things for you. Amen? And the world's going to go down, but you're going to go up. Amen? Y'all believe that today? So if you look at things just from the perspective of the world, you might say, well, it's an economic downturn. Everything's going to be really bad for us. No, you're looking through it the eyes of the world. If you serve God, God can bless you. While the world is impoverished, the world is in economic problems, all kinds of things are happening in the world. But if you're a servant of God and you're living spiritually in the land of Goshen, God can bless your life. And not only can He, but He has. He has blessed this church abundantly. And He's blessed my life abundantly. He's blessed your life abundantly. Amen. I am thankful to be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm glad I know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So here Jacob is, is in the land of Egypt where they're suffering famine, but he's growing, he's multiplying, he's blessing, hallelujah, things just like God said he would because the Lord was with him. All of these wonderful things are happening to the people of God while the very people who live in the land of Egypt, the Egyptians, are ones that are suffering. Say praise the Lord, church. God is the answer to the problems of the world. Amen. Do y'all believe that? And so the Bible goes on and tells us that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Egypt uh, of Jacob was 147 years now. So that means that he went to Egypt when he was 130 years of age. He lived there for 17 years. 147 years old is when he dies. Now if you think about it, God is in absolute control of everything because Joseph was sold into Egypt at 17 years of age. And now Jacob, after he's reunited with Joseph, gets to see him for 17 years. God is in control of everything. Even time frames are in His control. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you believe it. So for 17 years, this man in Egypt, his family are growing, multiplying, prospering with possessions. Amen. They're multiplying as a nation. And for 17 years, the last 17 years of Jacob's life, verse 28 tells us, this man is blessed in a foreign land. Amen? Amen. And the Bible says, in the time drew nigh that Israel must die. Did you notice something? The Bible addresses him as Jacob in verse 28. But then when we get to verse 29, he's called Israel. Brother Jared asked me a question last Sunday about this. Why at times is he called Jacob and at other times he called Israel? Well, he's called Jacob in the Bible. When you hear the term the God of Jacob or the God of Israel, then we need to look at what does that mean, the God of Jacob or the God of Israel? The God of Jacob focuses upon Jacob. When Jacob, you remember he fled you know, he helped try to help his mom. They tried to help God out to get the birthright and the blessing. And he had to flee for his life from Esau. Do you all remember that? When he fled, he deserved judgment. He deserved the wrath of God. But when he fled, God met him. Do you all remember that? That ladder that reached to heaven, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And God let him know that he was with him even though he was fleeing out of the land. Do you all remember that story? Okay. So Jacob then refers to Jacob uh, uh, to a time in his life whenever he didn't deserve blessing. His name means supplanter. He mean, it means a tricker. It means a conniver. It means a deceiver. And so in that name, Jacob, he didn't deserve anything from God. And when he left his mother and father's house, he didn't have anything. But God came and promised him blessings with everything. You see that? So Jacob speaks of, of that carnal side of the man. It speaks of the man when he didn't deserve anything, but God blessed him with everything. It shows a man that deserved wrath, but instead received the grace of God Almighty. Your name might not be literally Jacob today, but spiritually that's where every one of us was. Because there was a time when I deserved wrath, but God showed me grace. There was a time when I deserved nothing, but He gave me everything. 
Amen. There was a time when I was trusting in my own self to get myself through life. And nothing but problems and troubles were coming to me. And the God of Jacob came to me when I deserved nothing and gave me everything when I deserved wrath. He gave me grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so when it talks about the God of Jacob, it's referring to what God does for you in grace and mercy and when He gives you what you don't deserve. And the fact that He's growing as a nation and He's prospering and Amen. Possessions are coming His way. It's by the grace and mercy of God. But then when we see in verse 29, and the time drew nigh that Israel must die, now He's called Israel. And when we have the term the God of Israel mentioned in the Bible, you're still talking about the same person, but Israel means a man that has wrestled with God and has been conquered by God. Israel, now when you see that term, the God of Israel of Israel, and you're going to see it throughout the rest of the book of Genesis when he's addressed, he's going to be addressed as Israel. It's saying, I have been conquered by God. I'm no longer trying to control my life, manipulate my life, lie my way through life. I'm no longer in control of my life. I'm Israel. I am now conquered by God. I'm ruled by God. I'm led by God. And so that's the difference between the God of Jacob and the God of Israel. Jacob speaks of his fleshly nature. Israel speaks of his spirituality. And so you'll read it especially through the prophets, this term, the God of Jacob or the God of Israel. That's the difference between the names. Are you thankful today that God came to you when you were a Jacob? I'm glad that God came to me when I was a Jacob. Because I know what I deserve. People talk about what I deserve better. No, I know what I deserve. I don't deserve as, as good as I have it. But because of the mercy and the grace of God Almighty come into my life, instead of pouring wrath on me, He poured mercy and grace. When I deserved nothing, He gave me everything. And He turned me into a man spiritually. Israel, I've been conquered by God. Now I let God control my life. I let God rule my life. And that's what the difference is. So there's a transition that's going to take place in the book of Genesis where His name is going to be Israel more than Jacob. Do you understand now? Give God praise. So the Bible says it's time for this man. He's drawing near. It's time for him to die. He called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. He recognized that he's fixing to die, and he, he asked Joseph, Joseph, I'm fixing to die, but don't bury me in this land. Bury me in the promised land. Bury me where Abraham is. Bury me where Isaac is. Bury me where the fathers are. Bear me in the land of promise. Bear me in the land where Messiah will be born. So he's coming by faith. And obviously if he had been buried in Egypt, it would have been full of pomp and ceremony and it would have been a big event. But he says, don't bury me in Egypt. Bury me in the land of promise. So what he's saying right here is, I have faith in my God. I want you to bury me in the land where Messiah is going to be born. And I want you to understand something today. The Jews connected the blessings of God with their life in such a way with the land that they want, even to this day, when they get buried, they want to be buried on the Mount of Olives. 
Because they know that when Jesus returns, He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And when He stands on the Mount of Olives, they know there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. And so even to this day, they want to be buried in a certain location. I'm talking about believers, believing Jews, want to be buried in a certain location, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is going to come and put His foot down and resurrect the dead. So this man here wants to be buried in that land. The land of promise. The land where Messiah will be born. The land which will see the Messiah come and put His feet on. It's called Israel today. And so he asked Joseph, he says, whenever I die, I want you to bury me over in the promised land. He does this by faith. In verse 39, he said, I will lie with my fathers and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. So Joseph agrees to do this in verse 31. And he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Before he dies, verse 40, chapter 48, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. He took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. The term sickness doesn't mean like he's got some kind of a disease. The term sickness means that he's getting older now. His body is winding down. He's fixing to die. I don't believe the man was ravished with disease. He's just getting old. And in his old age, he's fixing to pass away and he's fixing to die. But he's got some things that he needs to take care of as a father. He needs to bless his children before he passes away. And so the Bible says that Joseph brings in Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh being the oldest son of Joseph and Ephraim being the youngest son. And the Bible says as he does this, what's going to happen is that the birthright is going to be acknowledged in Joseph. Now remember this. We've already taught you about the birthright, but the birthright was supposed to go to the firstborn, Reuben. But Reuben forfeited the birthright by an ungodly lifestyle. And as a result of that, then now the birthright is going to be passed upon a more worthy son, and his name is going to be Joseph. He's not the firstborn son, but remember, he's the one that's mantled. He's the one that has the spiritual authority in the family of God. And so Joseph, as a result of him being mantled, and also as a result of his godly lifestyle, that birthright is going to be passed from Reuben to now to Joseph. And Jacob, the father, is going to be the one that's going to bless him. You remember what we preached last Sunday morning? That, jo that Jacob, when he walked in, even into the court of Pharaoh, as an old man, 130 years of age at that time, when he walked in the court of Pharaoh and had an audience really with the ruler of the world, that old man walked over and put his hand on the head of Pharaoh. And he blessed that man. And the word blessing doesn't just mean a prayer. It means a release of an anointing power upon that man's life to prosper body, soul, and spirit. That every aspect of Pharaoh's life, first of all, in that blessing when Jacob laid his hand on his head, he was saying, I want you to know the one true God of the Bible. Because in knowing the one true God of the Bible, that's the only way that you can really be blessed in life. 
So when he placed his hand upon his head to bless Pharaoh, he said, I want you to know the one true God of the Bible, and I'm recent releasing his anointing, his presence upon your life to prosper you in every part of your being, every part, body, soul, and spirit. Every cell in your body is going to be energized with the blessings of God. And I told you last Sunday morning that only a blessed man can bless. And Jacob, remember when Jacob wrestled with that angel at the river Jabbok, he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And the Bible said the Lord blessed him. So a blessed man can impart blessing. And he walked in there and he placed his hand upon even the head of the ruler of the world, Pharaoh, and blessed that man. Can you imagine what must have happened when, when that anointing would have hit Pharaoh? The power of God would have hit Pharaoh and every part of his being, body, soul, and spirit was blessed and energized by the presence of Almighty God as that old man, 130 years old, laid his hand upon his head. Only a blessed man can bless. And so now we see his life is about to end, 147 years of age, and he's going to bless Joseph with the birthright. Now what is the birthright? Well, as I said, it normally goes to the firstborn son, but that means that you will receive a double portion of the inheritance. A double portion. He's not just going to get one portion like the rest of the sons, but he's going to get one portion above their portion and receive a double portion of the inheritance. Do you understand that? If you want more clarity on it, you can look at First Chronicles in chapter 5 and you will see the reason why. is because Reuben disqualified himself from that birthright. And so Joseph, uh, Jacob knows this and he's going to bless Joseph with this double portion. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to bless the two sons. And in the two sons, that is going to show the double portion that is upon Joseph's life. Now, as you progress through the story, and I'm not going to read all the verses because it's my goal and intention to finish the book of Genesis this morning. That is probably going to cause some of you some concern. <laughs> But I can't read all of the verses. But the Bible says it's time now for this man to die. And it's time for this man who's been blessed by God to pass on a blessing to his children. And the scripture says Joseph comes in before him. This man who had lived a better life than the rest of them. This young man who lived a more godly and holy life than all the rest of the other brothers. As a result of his godliness, now it's time for him to be blessed. He brings, Joseph brings into the presence of his father, his two sons, Manasseh the eldest and Ephraim the youngest, for the blessing. And when he does, even though he's the number two ruler in the world, the Bible says when he walks into the presence of his father Jacob, he bows himself. That shows you respect. The kind of respect that a son would have for a father, even though he's the number two ruler in all of the world, he still respects his father. So that when he comes in the presence of Jacob, he bows before him and shows obeisance to him. You know why? Because he might be the number two ruler in all the world just under Pharaoh, but his daddy has spiritual authority and power. And he recognizes it. And so... Out of respect for his father, as you read the story, you'll see that I'm telling you the truth. He bows himself in respect as he's getting ready to be blessed by his father. We need that kind of respect in children today. 
in young people and youth today that respect their fathers, that even though they may have positions and, and whatever and doing things in the world, they still need to come before their father in, in, in a reverence, I should say, in a respect, not a worship, but a reverence and a respect for that person. Amen. And that's the kind of man that Joseph was. No wonder he received the mantle from his father, the position of authority, because of the character that he had. Now, as we continue, the Bible says, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but little Manasseh and Ephraim are brought in with Joseph. He brings them out from behind him. And the Scripture says this old man, Jacob, is about to bless these boys. The Scripture says, as Joseph presents Manasseh and Ephraim before the father to be blessed, he put them in a position so that the elder son... Remember, the elder son is supposed to be the one that gets the birthright. He positioned the elder son so that daddy could reach his hand out like this and place it on Manasseh's head. He positions Ephraim, the younger son, so that his daddy would lay his left hand on the younger son's head. And as soon as he does, the Bible says, because Jacob knew the will of God, and under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Jacob crossed his hands. And he placed his right hand on the younger son Ephraim and his left hand on the older son. And Joseph kind of got in a little bit of a, a fuss with his daddy at this point about what are you doing, dad? You're supposed to bless the older son. You're supposed to bless Manasseh with the birthright, but you've crossed your hand. You put it on the head of Ephraim. But Jacob knew that it was the will of God that the elder would serve the younger. Do you understand that? That it was Ephraim that was going to get the, the birthright. Amen. Are you all with me here? And that bothered Joseph, but he submitted to the will of God. You see, sometimes when you look at things from the natural perspective, you want it to happen a certain way. And Joseph really, he, he was a great godly man, but he didn't have the revelation that Jacob did that the elder Ephraim, I mean Manasseh, would serve the younger Ephraim. And, and so when Joseph started saying, no, Dad, it's not supposed to happen like this, Jacob said, I know the will of God. And you have to understand that at this point, even Joseph was kind of opposing the will of God, but he submitted to it. Because there's sometimes in your life when you see things, you think it should happen a certain way. But there are spiritual fathers in your life that know what is best. And you might oppose it and you might resist it and you might not like it. But that spiritual father that's in your life is going to have a revelation from God. And if you'll submit to that, and that's what Joseph eventually does, he stops opposing his father and he submits to the will of God. And Ephraim is now blessed over Manasseh. And real quickly, I need you to understand that Ephraim became the name of the northern kingdom the ten tribes of Israel was called Ephraim as you read through the prophets because that man received the birthright from Jacob. Are y'all with me here? If you are, give God praise. Now, so it's Ephraim that receives the double portion. But really it's Joseph that receives the double portion through his sons. And if you, you will study, you will see that Joseph got the birthright, the blessing part, of the birth or the uh, the double portion part of the birthright 
Joseph did, but it's Judah that got the second part. The first part was the double portion. But the second part was who is going to be in the genealogy of Messiah? Who's going to be, have that, that part of the birthright that's not just the double portion, but who's going to have the part of the birthright that will produce the prince king? Who's going to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And you'll find out that it was Judah. Judah is going to be in the line of Messiah. He's going to be the one that's going to be in the line of the prince king. He's going to get the blessing part of the birthright, whereas Joseph gets the double portion part of the birthright. Do you understand that? And so it's seen being fulfilled here as he places his hand on Ephraim. That will be known, called, the ten tribes of Israel will be called Ephraim. And the two tribes, the southern kingdom will be called what? Judah. Amen? Of course, y'all, y'all, y'all know all of this, but that's all right. I'm still going to preach it to you because you need to be reminded. Now, when Jesus comes into the world, He is the line of the tribe of Judah. He is in the princely line of Judah. Are y'all with me here? And He's the one that ultimately restored the birthright. What is the birthright now for us? The birthright is when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you get the double portion as firstborn sons. Hebrews calls the church the church of the firstborn. So now you and I have a double portion blessing in our life. We have the Holy Ghost. And now the Bible calls you kings and priests unto God so that now that's even been transferred from the Lord to His church. Say praise the Lord. Now, after He blesses them, Let's look at it. I'll just read it to you just a moment so you'll be with me here. Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh, Manasseh's head, guiding his hand wittily, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac did walk the God, which fed me all my life long unto this day. The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads. You see how he blessed them? See, he, he transferred the birthright to the younger son Ephraim, but he still blessed both of them. Because Joseph is the one that's going to receive the double portion, but he's receiving it through his sons. Do you understand this? If you do, say praise the Lord. But look what he says when he blesses them. Are you with me? He says, verse 15, and, and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. He's my God. He's the God of covenant. He's the God of my fathers. And not only did Joseph say he's the God of my fathers, but he goes on and he says, you with me here? He fed me all my life long unto this day. He's the one that provided me. Are y'all with me? 147 years this man could look back and he said, God took care of me. God's the one that fed me. Even in times of famine, God was the one that fed him. And the third thing he says about this God, as he continues, he says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. The third thing he says about God, that angel is, was the one that he wrestled with in the river Jabbok and that was the Lord the Lord. And He said, that angel redeemed me. He not only fed me in my life, but He redeemed me. He saved me from my sin. He saved me from evil. See, the power of God. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, God can't save me because I'm too bad. 
Remember how, Jacob, how bad Jacob was? And we talked about his name. But Jacob says, God redeem me. His angel redeem me. That means even a man as great a sinner as he was experienced the forgiveness of God Almighty. And ultimately, this is Jesus that he's making reference to. Verse 16, The angel which redeemed me from evil blessed the lads and let my name be named on them. And the name of my fathers Abraham, Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he literally adopts them as his own. And he says, let my name be upon them. You see, in this adoption here that he's performing, he doesn't want them to be Gentilized. He wants them to be a part of the covenant of God. Do you understand? Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of details here, but Israel, Israel is a type of the Gentiles. In the sense that as he passes that, that birthright over to Ephraim and Manasseh, he passes a birthright upon Ephraim, and the Bible says that literally Ephraim is going to be a prince of the nations. He's a type of the Gentiles. But we see here in the Scripture, now I'm giving you this because you need to understand that, because when you look at Ephraim in the Old Testament, there is this ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom that the prophets make reference to. And there is Judah, those two tribes of the southern kingdom, that prophets make reference to. But you need to understand when you study the prophets that Ephraim oftentimes represents the Gentiles. So that when God speaks, He's not just talking about ten tribes of Israel. He's talking about Gentiles as a whole. Okay? Now, let me read it here so I don't lose you. Now watch. Are you all with me here? The Bible says in verse 19, And his father refused, as Joseph is protesting this, his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. He's talking about the elder. But truly, his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Or literally, literally, the Hebrew means the fullness of the Gentiles. So Ephraim is a type of the fullness of the Gentiles. Now we've preached this before to you when we were going through the prophets, but you need to understand how vast this blessing is. That when Jacob places his hand on the younger son Ephraim, the younger son is going to be the name of the ten tribes of Israel. He's going to have vast territory, but he's also a type of all the nations of the world being blessed through Messiah. Amen? And Judah, Judah, Manasseh's, uh, Judah's not even here right now, but Judah will be the one who will have the kingly line in his genealogy. Alright? So who has the double portion now? Joseph's got the double portion. Who has the blessing of the double portion? Or the blessing of the birthright? Judah does. Very important. Now, keep going. And so verse 21, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Do you all believe that? I want you to see this man of God, this spiritual father, as he prepares to depart this world, as an imparting uh, the birthright upon Joseph, the, the blessing part, or the, the, the double portion part of the, the birthright upon Joseph. This man's getting ready to die, but he doesn't sit around and moan and complain and gripe and feel sorry for himself that he's about to die. 
This man's doing things by faith. He's doing things prophetically. He's doing things that are going to affect, affect the whole history of the world as important blessings. What this man is going to do is he blesses um, Joseph with that double portion and then in the 49th chapter he will bless every one of the sons. He is literally set in the course of history from that time all the way to the kingdom age by the power of blessing. He's going to set in motion the history of the world right before he dies. Amen. Who is going to have the double portion? Joseph. Who's going to have the kingly line? Judah. And he sets all of this in motion right before he dies. And he does it all by faith. Even the crossing of his hands and placing his right hand on the younger son Ephraim was all by faith, by revelation from God. You know what God was showing him? Jacob, I promised you the birthright. And you tried to help, you and your mother tried to help me out. If you'd have just trusted me, this is what Isaac would have done for you. He'd have crossed his hands. And he'd have placed his right hand on your head, Jacob, and his left hand on your brother Esau, the elder brother's head, if you'd have just trusted me. But you had to try to help me out. But see, Jacob knew now, by revelation from God, what the birthright was all about and what God could have done for him had he trusted him. So the scripture says he prepares to die. He's just blessing. Verse 21, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of my fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brothers. That's two portions. You're going to get another portion, Joseph, but you're getting one even above your brothers. You're going to get two portions. Which, what is? That's the double portion part of the blessing. Okay. I have given thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. That's really interesting. We don't have a record when you study. We went through the book of Genesis and we don't see a record of where Jacob went to battle with the Amorites with his sword and bow and took territory. We don't see that. It's not recorded. Everything that happens in, in these men's lives are not recorded in the Scripture. But it shows you what kind of man he was. He, it shows you even whenever Joseph protested the blessing on the younger, Jacob said, no, I know what I'm doing. It's the will of God. So even in the face of opposition, even from a man like Joseph, he said, no, I know the will of God. And I will oppose your opposition. And I'll do what God has called me to do. Even though, Joseph, you're a great man of God, number two in the world. Jacob, I, Jacob knew the will of God. And now we see another example in his life when opposition came to him. He overcame the opposition and conquered territory. As a Christian, you need to realize is that the enemy is going to oppose the kingdom of God in your life. He's going to oppose the will of God in your life. And you all know this, but I'm, I, do we put it into practice? When the will of God is challenged in your life, do you have the ability to fight back? 
when the will of God is opposed in your life, do you have the ability to say, no, this is the will of God. This is what must be done. I know, I know what I'm doing, but I have to do it God's way. Whether you like it or not, praise the Lord, it has to be done. And you're opposing me right now, but I'm not going to stop. You're opposing me right now, but I must do the will of God. There's opposition coming from every direction, but I'm still going to do the will of God. Hallelujah. And the church needs to realize that the will of God must be done. And you and I have to constantly oppose the opposition that's coming against the will of God. You cannot just expect to sit down and everything be wonderful. When it's time for you to get the blessings from God. When it's time for you to get a blessing from a spiritual father that's going to be imparted into your life. You have to be there and you have to be willing to submit to the will of God in your life. When opposition comes against you, against the will of God, or trying to defeat as you go forward to try to conquer things for the kingdom of God, when it comes, you're going to have to stand up and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to be like Jacob and take a sword in your hand and fight the Amorites and conquer the territory. There's no such thing as getting passive in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as just coming, sitting on a pew somewhere and being passive and folding your arms or saying what will be will be. That's fatalism. No, in the kingdom of God, you need to know there's going to be opposition to the will of God. There's going to be opposition. I've got to fight. I've got to stand up. I've got to conquer. There's nothing that's done in the kingdom of God. There's nothing that's going to be done in your life spiritually, hallelujah, without doing something, without getting up and fighting and opposing the enemy and engaging the enemy and conquering the enemy. This idea that we can become passive as Christians is not taught in the Bible. The Bible teaches even that Jacob had at times to, to fight with the sword in his hand in order to take the possessions of God. If you're going to possess His possessions, if you're going to experience the will of God in your life, you're going to have to fight the enemy because the enemy is not just going to give it to you. You're going to say, no, that belongs to me. That belongs to this church. That belongs to my family. I'm not letting you have it, devil. In the mighty name of Jesus. And if you're not careful, you can get discouraged in this battle. But what you have to understand, that's a part of being a Christian, is learning how to fight the good fight of faith. And even when well-meaning church members come to you and say, that's not what I want to happen, you have to say, no, that is the revealed will of God. And we must do it whether you like it or not. And when it comes to fighting the Amorites to take possession of what belongs to you, because the enemy is going to come after everything you got. He's going to come after your children. He's going to come after your wealth. He's going to come after your soul. He's going to come after your body. He's going to come after your spirit. And you've got to find a way to rise up and to fight him and the way you do it is by spiritual weapons in the name of Jesus I shall conquer by his spirit and anointing I will prevail by the word of God which is the sword of the spirit I will smite the enemy through 
I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I'm fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We've got to know that today, that you're in a battle, whether you realize it or see it or not, you're in a battle right now. And you've got to fight it with spiritual weapons. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the spirit, the word of God. So I don't know what to do. I'm telling you what to do. You have to oppose the opposition of the enemy. How many of y'all believe that if you do give God a hand clap of praise? And if Jacob hadn't been willing to oppose the enemy's opposition, he could not have blessed Joseph and his grandsons with that double portion. I'm telling you as a church today, we've got this mentality, you know, just to become passive. If you become passive, the devil's going to take everything you got. I'm going to tell you again, he's going to take your children, he's going to put them in a public school system. They're going to be destroyed by that school system because it's an antichrist system and you're going to let them do it. No, you're not. In the name of Jesus, I will oppose his opposition. I'm not giving in to the spirit of this world. I see the way you're coming to me. You're coming in disguise. No, I've got a sword in my hand. And some of you, you know, you, you go through things and battles and you've been afflicted and you've been wounded and you've been hurt and all of that. But it's time for you to take up the sword and say, I'm tired of being wounded. I'm tired of being hurt. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil. In the name of Jesus, the will of God will be done. I will see it through to the end. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving in to that spirit. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not just coming to be a church member. I'm coming to be a warrior. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It is a battle. It's a battle. And you've got to fight. You have to. Say, well, I just, I'm tired. Now I'm just going to give up. You give up, the devil's going to tear you to pieces. That's what he's waiting for you to do. Is to pour out, pull out your little handkerchief and say, I surrender to you, devil. Would you leave me alone? When you pull out the flag and surrender to him and you think he's going to leave you alone, he's not going to leave you alone. So you might as well take up your sword and start fighting. You might as well get up off your pew and start engaging the enemy. Because he's not going to let up. He's going to keep coming after you because you're letting him take the ground. So this little obscure passage that's not even recorded the historical account in the Bible that I'm aware of is recorded right there. In the same chapter where we have the opposition to the will of God even through a son. Jacob says, no, I'm doing God's will. We see the second opposition recorded in the same chapter, and that was the Amorites. That territory belongs to the people of God. And I'm going to fight for their inheritance. Anybody here today want to be like a Jacob? I want to be like a Jacob on your behalf. 
I want to fight the enemy on your behalf because God has an inheritance for you that the enemy doesn't want you to have. So if I need to be a Jacob, I'll stand up in the name of the Lord, not by my own power or my own mind or my own authority, but the power of the name of Jesus and his mind, his power and authority. And I'm going to tell you what Jacob said as a blessed man, as I try to impart blessing in your life, is that I'm in covenant with God. And you're in covenant with God. And God has taken care of us all of our life. He's fed us our bread all of our lives. And He redeemed us from evil. Some of the greatest sinners that will ever be in the kingdom of God are standing right here redeemed from their sin. I know some of your background. I know some of your history. You were the worst of the worst. But Jesus came and redeemed you. It doesn't matter what great a sinner you are. Jesus can redeem you and turn it around. But Jacob knew what God had done for him, but he also knew that he had to fight. He had to fight. Sometimes your flesh gets lazy. He preached it last Sunday night. Your flesh gets lazy. It gets tired of fighting. You got to keep fighting. I said, you got to stand up. You got to take possession. You got to possess your possessions. Even when Israel went into the promised land, they had to throw out, they had to defeat the enemies that were in the land in order to possess the possessions that God promise them it doesn't just come to you without a fight you have to fight for it hallelujah get a sword in your hand if there's anything opposing you right now opposing the kingdom of God the will of God in your life get a sword in your hand right now the word of God get armed with a promise right now and do warfare and defeat the enemy because the devil is under your feet But you got to fight. And he's 147 years of age. He's fixing to die before we get this revelation of how this mighty man of God opposed the opposition that came against him. Give God worship and praise in this house. He's a mighty man of God. He's the one that's blessed so he can impart a blessing. But he had to fight. You can't get past it. You gotta get the sword in your hand. You can't get past it. You gotta learn to fight. You gotta get up. Thank you, daughter. You gotta get up. And you gotta go forward in the name of Jesus. And say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And you have to understand that when you're going through battles, it's not because God's mad at you. It's not because God quit on you. It's not because anybody gave up on you. It's because the enemy is opposing you. Huh? You've got to oppose his opposition. Said, I've been listening to the wrong voice. I've been listening to lies in the name of Jesus. God is still for me. I haven't been forsaken. God has taken care of me all of my life. He saved me though I was a great sinner. I trust him now. I'm blessed so I can impart a blessing. It's going to be imposed, opposed, but I'm still going to do it. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. 
And I can't tell you, I, I mean, there's things that I go through in my mind, you know. I'm just being honest with you. Things go through in my mind as well, just like you fight battles. And just the other day I said, no, you know, this thing keeps coming to me about going and preaching in different parts of the world. I don't really want to do that. I'll be honest with you, I really don't want to do that. And I'm thinking in my mind, no, 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 no. Just, just don't do that. Just, just stay put where you are. But I want you to know today that I realize that I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to have to push through. It's not easy doing the will of God. It's not easy going where God calls you to go. It's not easy. And your flesh will say, I don't want to do it. But you have to be like Jacob. Say, I must impart a blessing. I must impart a double portion blessing. Give God praise. And fathers do that. That's why Elisha said, when Elijah was taken up, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, well, if you see me when I go up, you'll receive a double portion. Hallelujah. The anointing that's on Elijah and the anointing that you have already, Elisha, a double portion. And so the Bible says, when Elijah was taken up, his mantle came floating back down. Are y'all with me right now? And whenever he saw Elisha, saw Elijah go up, he didn't say, my prophet, my prophet. He said, my daddy, my daddy. He said, my father, my father. Because it's fathers that transfer spiritual. Hallelujah hallelujah to the land spiritual double portioning it's your anointing but it's another man's anointing too that's coming on you in the name of jesus but it's fathers that do it give the lord a hand clap of praise and Elijah went and picked up that mantle of Elijah. And he went and he smote the river Jordan. And the Bible said it parted. Give God praise in this house. And Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did in his life. He had his anointing plus his daddy's. And he didn't just have spirit. He had authority. That was the mantle. Are y'all here? Give God some worship in this house. They say, well, I feel like I'm doing pretty good right now. There's so much more God wants you to do in the spirit. You might be blessed financially and physically in your health. But there's so much more God wants you to do in the spirit. Is it Sonia? Is it Sonia? It's Sonia, is that her name? Sonia and the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. God's going to raise you up to be a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. You know, you know how to pray. You know how to move in the spirit. Get ready to be a warrior. Don't come and sit on a pew somewhere. Get in there and fight. Get in that prayer room and pray and conquer. God wants you to do something on the behalf of your family. Get in there and fight in the name of Jesus. There is an anointing that rests upon your life. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Jacob, so as a father, he understands the power of blessing. He knows he's already declared to his son, Joseph, you're going to get twice as much as anybody else. You're going to get a double portion because you lived a life that's worthy. You lived better than other sons did. And as a result of that, you qualify to have that double portion. Are y'all with me right now? You might want it, but how's your lifestyle? 
you might want it but how are you living Joseph because you have been faithful even in the midst of trials you've been faithful all the way through Joseph because you've lived better than the rest of them you're going to get twice the anointing let me tell you something today it does matter how you live I said it does matter how you live It doesn't just come to you because you want it. You got to live. You got to qualify for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And because Joseph lived better than the rest of the brothers, he's the one that got twice as much. Give the Lord a hand clap. So he says to Joseph, moreover, I have given thee one portion above thy brethren which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Give God praise. That's an awesome statement. <laughs> in the 49th chapter, keeping in mind the whole context, this is right before he's about to die. He's blessed Joseph with a double portion. His two sons are seen there as a personification of that blessing. The ultimate goes to Ephraim. Are y'all with me here today? But he calls his other sons before him because he's going to impart a blessing upon the rest of them. Are y'all here with me? The Scripture tells us that 11 of the sons are going to receive a blessing. Levi is going to be joined with Simeon. Now I'm going to go very quickly through this. All right, y'all with me here? How many of y'all want the blessing in your life? You want the blessing in your life. It comes from a blessed individual. So we see this man, Jacob, passing on the blessings to Joseph, the double portion. But now he goes, the Bible says in chapter 49, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourself together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. What I'm about to do, uh, Jacob says, does not just affect you right now. It affects you all the way to the end times. He's going to prophesy over those sons just as he prophesied over Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim. <clears throat> Are y'all here? And now as he calls them forward, he said, I want you to gather. That's what we're doing together today as a church. You have come here. You have been called to gather for a blessing. Anybody here for, ready for a blessing? You've been called to gather. God calls. He's got a voice that's going out right now. And that voice is gather my people. Call them. Assemble them. Because I want to bless their life. Who I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. In the name. Would you just right now get full of God? Would you just right now yield yourself to God? Would you just right now prepare yourself for the blessing? Verse 2, again, he repeats it. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. When you gather, gather. And when you gather, hear and hearken. Basically, it's the same Hebrew word. Hear and hearken. 
When you come, that's the purpose of the preaching of the Word of God. It's so that when you come and you're gathering, you will hear what's being preached. You will hearken to what's being preached. You will put into application what you are hearing preached. That's the purpose of your gathering and that's the purpose of my preaching to you is that you would hear it and you would follow in it. You would apply it. <clears throat> so... Here comes the sons. And <clears throat> the Bible says, Gather yourselves together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel, your father. Reuben, verse 3, he starts with the firstborn. He wants to bless Reuben. And he talks about Reuben's privileges and he talks about Reuben's advantages as being the firstborn son. And Jacob wanted him to receive the birthright as the firstborn son. He talked about Reuben's privilege as a firstborn son. He talks about Reuben's power as a firstborn son. The opportunities that that man had. You see what I'm saying to you today is this, is just because you might be a firstborn son, the privileges are there for you. The opportunity is there for you. But will you get it? There's people that want you to have it. But will you get it? We look at Reuben the firstborn and the Bible talks about his privileges as he gathers there before his father. His father said, Thou art my firstborn, my might. You had position. You had privilege as a firstborn son. And he says, not only did you have position or privilege, but he said, you're my might. Your power. What happened to him? If he had privilege and position and advantage over the rest of them as a firstborn son, and, and <clears throat> Jacob said, when I first named you, I saw you, that's going to be a son of power in my life. What opportunities this man had. He said, you're the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. But he said, you're unstable as water. And that's why he lost that birthright. He had it all going for him. He had the privilege. He had the opportunity, even the power. But there was something wrong in his character, brothers and sisters. The Bible says he was unstable as water. One translation says he was like water that boiled up. Well, what does that mean, unstable as water? He could not conquer his flesh. His flesh was like water that would constantly bubble up. His flesh was in, that old nature was in control of that man. like water that bubbles up from the ground. Just an uncontrolled passion in his life. And the Bible says, <clears throat> Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. What a horrible thing. <clears throat> Great potential. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the way his daddy looked at him. He looked at him as a, as a man of privilege and position and dignity and power. Great potential. Great 
promise. This is what his daddy hoped would happen from his firstborn. But his firstborn had uncontrollable passion. What I mean by that doesn't mean he couldn't control it. He just didn't control it. Because he just gave into his flesh. The Scripture says, this old man prophesying to him, you won't excel. Thou shalt not excel. When you study the history of this tribe, because these sons will become tribes. When you study the history of this tribe, church, you will not see one judge come out of that tribe. Not one king came out of that tribe. Not one prophet, Matthew, came out of that tribe. Not one. He had the power and he had the privilege. But he squandered it all because he couldn't get control of his flesh. God help us. What was the problem? Well, he specifies it. He says, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledest thou it. He went up to my couch. You committed incest. Uncontrolled passion. Sexual immorality is what did him in. All that potential, all that power, all that privilege, all that hope that a father had squandered because the man couldn't get control of himself. Or wouldn't. He could have, but he wouldn't. So Joshua, or Jacob, blesses Joseph over him along with Judah. And we'll see that Joseph and Judah in this passage receive more of the blessing than any of the other sons. The second and third son, it's interesting, church, that the firstborn, Reuben, and the second and the thirdborn son, all of them were ashamed to their daddy. All of them. The Bible says... Simeon and Levi are brethren. See, Levi is joined with Simeon. He's not blessed separately. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are their habitations. I thought this is supposed to be blessing. I thought this spiritual father is supposed to be blessing his sons. But to Reuben, he says, You're unstable in his water. You'll not excel because of your immorality. We see the second and third born sons. Bad news. Let me say it again. Bad news. Instruments of cruelty. <clears throat> and I won't try to preach that whole story. But that's when he, they went into the Shechemites and caused great, great disturbance to their father by their cruel acts. But the first three sons were ashamed to their father. They didn't turn out like he hoped. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Tell them, tell your neighbor they were bad news. 
Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. This was a part of their character. They were cruel. O oh my soul, come now thou, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall or hamstrung the oxen. I don't have time to preach it all to you. But these are just manifestations of their cruelty and their anger that they took out upon the Shechemites. So, so cruel were they that they hamstrung the oxen. Cruelty to even animals in, in Shechem. They're just bad news. And so what does God say through this man? Separate yourself from them. Don't honor them and don't seek to be honored by them. Isn't that a horrible thing? You're here in the church right now. Do you even care about your own soul? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing for a spiritual father to look you in the eyes and to tell you that people are going to have to separate from you because you're bad news. We're not going to honor you and nobody should seek to be honored by you. Separate yourself from that kind of individual. I'll read it to you again. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down the wall. It literally means they hamstruck an, hamstruck, strung an auction in the literal. There's a call for separation from that kind of son. Verse 7, it's, so, it's such a strong word that comes from the Father. He says, cursed be their anger. Listen, this is supposed to be a blessing. But He has to curse them because of who they are in their character. When they pronounce a curse in the Old Testament like that, you're talking about eternal judgment being pronounced upon His own children. You say, but pastor, if this man is supposed to be blessing, how can he be speaking judgment in the blessing? What you have to understand is that when a message of judgment comes to you, that that's probably the greatest blessing that you can receive because it's a warning to us to turn from our wicked ways. When you hear this man, Jacob, pronouncing judgments in the midst of blessing his sons, what he's saying is, this is a warning to every one of you. It's a warning to me. Don't go that route. Don't do that. Are y'all here? And so many people that come to church and say, well, I want the pastor to bless me. 
when I preach a message of judgment to you, that's probably the greatest mess, greatest blessing I could ever bless you with. It is because I'm telling you to turn from your evil. Turn from your wickedness. It's for my good. It's for your good, church. When a message of judgment comes, it's a part of the blessing. And when Jacob gets through blessing his children, even pronouncing judgments upon them, at the end of the whole thing, he says he blessed them. He still called even the message of judgment blessing. We live right now in a very dangerous time in the United States of America. Because even... Some conservative politicians are starting to take this line. It's called unconditional love. The problem with that is they don't talk about the other side of the coin of the unconditional love of God. And that is that God hates evil. And to condone evil and to condone sin and participate in it has nothing to do with unconditional love. That's not the love of God. The flip side of the love of God is that He hates evil. And through His, through Jacob, He pronounces judgment. But you need to remember, God says, that's blessing. There's another side of the coin to blessing. There's another side of the coin called love, and that is judgment. Are y'all with me? And when you come in here and hear this word, you know I bless you. I bless you in the name of Jesus with good things. But I declare today the judgments of God through His word, which to me is a great blessing. Because I don't know about you, I don't know. I don't have angel wings coming out of my back. I've got an old fallen nature inside of me that's just as vile and evil as the devil himself. And I need God not to just talk to me all the time about love and, you know, charismatic thing. Man, they'll kiss you. You know you've been kissed when you've been kissed by a charismatic, Brother Dice used to say. They'll kiss you, man. They'll pucker up, kiss you right on the lips, man. You hear what I'm saying? But I know how evil I am. And I know I don't just need a message of love. from I need a message of judgment, hallelujah, to the Lamb. I thank God that's part of the blessings of God in my life when He brings a strong warning to me, a strong rebuke. Someday if you and I make it to heaven, and I haven't made it yet, nor have you, and I'm not going to walk around and act like I have, we will thank God for all of His correction. We will thank God for all of His discipline in our life. We will thank God when He said no to us. Not just when He said yes to us. We will praise God. I made it! So He has to put, He puts a curse upon their anger. On their anger, their action. For it was fierce and their wrath, for it was cruel. I divided them in Jacob and scattered them in Israel. 
Eventually, Levi, whose name means joined. Eventually, Levi, the good news is this. He will join himself with the Lord, Brother Daniel. Eventually, he will take this warning from his dad and he will join with the Lord and he becomes the priest in Israel. And 48 cities throughout all of the land of Israel are going to be inhabited by Levi because they decided, I'm going to take the warning. I'm going to reverse the curse. I'm going to join myself to God. You can reverse the curse. But when that warning comes, you better listen to it. And you better say, I'm going to join myself to the Lord. I'm going to reverse the curse. And I'm going to be a priest of God. They didn't just get a portion, a small portion of inheritance. They, went, they were scattered throughout all the land of Israel. 48 cities. And Simeon, the sad part about Simeon, is that Simeon, just like the prophet said here, is scattered through the, through the tribal area geographically of Judah. You with me? How many want to reverse the curse? Then you have to hear the Word of God. You have to hear the Word of God. The message of judgment, the warning that comes. Thank God for it, Brother Heath. Thank God for it. Give the Lord praise. Because you and I both know that until something comes in your life to shake the hell out of you, and I'm talking about the underworld, you're going to sit there passive in the name of Jesus. Let a strong word come and shake. God is going to judge this world in the end times. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken so that His kingdom will be established. Economic systems, political systems, religious systems, it's all going to be shaken so that His kingdom can be established. He will shake this church. He will shake me. He will shake you. Whew. And when He does, you're going to go, what in the world is happening? He's going to shake us. I'm not just preaching about the world. I'm preaching about His church. Judgment must first begin at the church. He's going to shake us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You didn't walk into religion when you came to this church. You walked into the kingdom of God. You, you came to a place where the oracles of God are preached. You didn't come into a religious institution. We're not going to try to pacify you. We're going to preach the word of God to you and let God shake your life. He's going to bless you with good things, but He's going to shake. Because you have to start reversing the curse. In the name of Jesus, I'm reversing the curse. I went down that road for a long I'm not going that way anymore. I'm joining myself to God. Verse 8, along with Judah, Judah, along with Joseph, Judah receives the most lengthy blessing from Jacob. And there's a play on his name. Judah means praise. In verse 8, he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Judah means praise. Are you all with me? You remember 
Judah's handling of Joseph, it wasn't very good, was it? But at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his life, but at the end of his life, he repented. At the end of his life, he said, I'll take the place of Benjamin and die in his place. He mishandled Joseph, but he said, I won't mishandle Benjamin. So later in his life, Judah turned the corner. And Judah, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, is the one that gets the king line priestly lineage line from the birthright. Make it simple. He's going to be in the lineage of Messiah. Jesus is known as the line of the tribe of Judah. See, it's not always the way you start out. It's the way you finish. I said it's the way you finish. Come on, keep going. I got, I, got, I got to preach, man. I got to move. I'm going too slow here. So Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. You are praiseworthy, Judah. Because the way you've lived, you're praiseworthy. So uh, your name means praise, but you are praiseworthy. Isn't that awesome? Thy hand shall be on the neck of thine enemies. Come here, brother. What is he saying? You are praiseworthy. Your latter life is better than it was to begin with. Now, I'm not going to put my hand on you. But when he talks about your hand, his hand is going to be on the neck of his enemies. He's saying, Judah, you are a soldier. Judah, you are a warrior. And how many times did God send forth praise before the battle was ever fought? He'd send Judah out in the front. And Judah would start worshiping God. And Judah would start praising God. And the rest of the army of Israel didn't even have to fight because praise went up. David, a warrior shepherd, will come out of Judah. The kings of Israel will come out of Judah. And they will be powerful praisers and powerful dancers and powerful psalmists. And your hand will be on the neck of your enemy. You will defeat the enemy as a soldier. Give God praise. You say, well, how do I do warfare, Pastor? Start praising Him. Start worshiping Him. Start lifting Him up. Go before, hallelujah, go into the battle. Be a singer. Be a psalmist. <clears throat> You'll oftentimes, <coughs> excuse me, you will see the prophets right before they got ready to prophesy, before the anointing and prophetic anointing would fall upon them to begin to prophesy, they would call for the minstrel. They would call for somebody to sing and to worship God to prepare the atmosphere for the prophetic. And oftentimes, as I said, you'll see Judah going forward in the front of the battle with instruments. Can you imagine what the enemy must have thought? Here comes these people. they got harps and instruments singing praises to God. And here the enemy. they got weapons in warfare. We're, we live in a different kingdom. <laughs> I said, we fight a different way. <laughs> anyway, 
Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Why? Because the kings of Israel, kings of Judah, will come out of him. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. The number two analogy of, of power and strength in battle is seen here as a lion. You're going to be like a lion, Judah. And not just a lion, but you're going to be like a lion's whelp. You're not going to be an old lion, like an old lion. You're going to be like a young lion full of strength and full of power. A lion is known for his power and his strength. And when he went to battle, he was like a lion. He was strong in power. That's why David could bring a, a Goliath down with one stone. Come on, anybody here got this? Now, I preached this a long time ago out of the book of Revelation, and I tried to get you to understand that these sons are prophetic of what can happen in and through you as the church. Receive the warnings, but also walk in the spiritual application of the truth that's here. It's not just talking about a physical tribe. It's about the church. And I'm not going to get into that. Everybody here today? Yeah, I'm tired. You're tired? I'm tired. I was tired when I got here, but I'm feeling good now. You know why? Because I've given myself to God. I've given myself to His Spirit. I've given myself to His anointing. I'm not going to let my flesh dictate to me what I'm going to do. I had to stay up just like the rest of y'all, wait for my kid to get home from that thing out there. I'm feeling good though right now. Because God is my strength. Judas aligns well from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, he, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. The kingly line is in Judah. And it's going to be that promise is going to remain in Judah all the way until Shiloh comes. That's Messiah. The word Shiloh means he whose right it is. He whose right it is, Shiloh's coming. And he's the true king of Israel. He has a right to the throne of David and a right to the throne of the Father. Hallelujah. He's the one that all these true godly kings pointed to. And he, here's the promise in Judah. Kings are going to come out of your loins. Even Messiah is coming out of your loins. He will be. Are y'all with me? Messiah ben David. Messiah son of David. And blind beggars will say that. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Blind beggars will declare him. He's the son of David. He is the one whose right it is to rule. Give God praise in the house. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal unto the vine. And his ass is colt under the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine. He, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Shows you what God can do in, with that old donkey nature that's in each and every one of us. We're redeemed by the wine, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Give God praise. He can take your old donkey nature and transform you and redeem you and cleanse you. Mm, what a wonderful God He is. It's also a picture of prosperity, man. Just vines, great vines, great vines were known to grow in the geography of Judah. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea 
and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his brother shall be unto Zidon. Zebulun means to dwell. And basically he's saying, you're going to dwell by the sea. And because you dwell by the sea, you're going to be a haven of ships. Your location will determine your service. I'm going to stop with that. That's, that's basically all I can preach to you. This might going to move quickly. But what he's saying is this, because of your location, Zebulun, you will have service. Because you live by the sea, your sh ships are going to, you'll be a haven to ships. See, a lot of times, man, we have to serve where we are. <clears throat> I got to go on. <laughs> your location will determine your service. The Bible goes on in verse 14. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant. And he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. Sad. He said, Issachar, Issachar was strong. But he saw the pleasure. And he went after the pleasure. You see, here's the problem. Is that I'm preaching to some strong people in this church right now. You're strong. I'm preaching to myself right now. I believe we're strong in God and in the power of His might. But if we're like Issachar, we give ourselves too much pleasure. I said we. So don't be like Issachar, couching down. You're strong, couching down under the burden. Because you keep looking at I want the pleasure. I want the world. That's a condemnation. It's a message of judgment from his daddy. You're strong, but you like pleasure too much. Woo! Give the Lord a hand clap. You in the Issachar strong, but he gave in. He saw the rest was good and the land that was pleasant and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. That's not a good outcome. Number 16, Dan. Dan's the word. Dan means judge. Dan shall judge his people. One of the greatest judges that ever came out of the tribe of Dan was Samson. I'll say it again. One of the greatest judges that ever came out of Israel came out of Dan. His name was Samson. Dan, you're going to judge. You're going to be a ruler over your people. You're going to be one of the judges out of that. Out of your tribe will come judges. A judge. In verse 17, but we got a problem. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. Dan has got a serpent nature. That's why many of the, the teachers, theologians, when they study these passages, will tell you they believe the Antichrist is going to be a descendant of the tribe of Dan. He's going to have Danite, Danite blood in him because he's going to be like the serpent in the way. A serpent in the way, you can't see him. They can hide in their environment. On the road, you can't see him. Then you walk by, all of a sudden, boom, you walk by and they, phew, they bite you. And you got poison running through your body. And you didn't even know the snake was there. And he said, that's the way the character of Daniel is. It's like a serpent, by the way. You can't see him. But when you least expect it, that's going to bite you. That's going to bite you. They fill you with poison. But the next verse gives hope. Because following the serpent, 
What do you have? The hope of salvation. So the Bible says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. I've been bitten by the serpent, but I waited for your salvation, O Lord. Give God praise. His blood is the remedy for the poison of the serpent. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Man, if you're serpent-like, which we all are in some ways, if you're serpent-like, you need salvation. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Sad part about it is Dan is one of the first ones that went into idolatry when the nation of Israel was falling away from God. Keep going. Verse 19, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Gad, remember Gad pitched his tents or his tribe on the other side of Jordan. He didn't even cross over Jordan. He said, I like this land. It's just fine. We'll, we'll, we'll set our tribe here, Gad. But notice what God says this. Gad, his name means troops. Gad is going to constantly be attacked by troops. But here's the good news. In the end, he shall overcome. Do you understand that? And historically, Gad was constantly attacked by troops, but because he didn't quit, he kept on, kept on, kept on. He ended up being victorious over every enemy that came. What is that telling me? You're going to be attacked by troops from every direction, but don't quit. Because if you remain faithful to God, in the end, you will prevail. It's only if you quit when you're attacked. Just keep getting back up. Just keep getting back up. I've been hit again. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. But I'm not stopping. I'm not quitting. I'm moving forward. And in the end, you will prevail. Anybody here today can relate to that? You've been hit by all kinds of troops, but you're still here fighting. The good news is you're going to win in the end. There's a lot of people, man, they start this race. They think it's a sprint. Where are they now? It's a long distance run, man. The battle's long and the battle's hard. And you get victory over one enemy and here comes another one. Over one more, here comes another one. As long as you don't quit, you will prevail. I'm looking at a troop right now that's blessed. You're a blessed troop. Verse 20. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Asher means happy. And it talks about these, these blessings and these riches and these, this prosperity that will be seen in Asher. Well, what's the difference between him and Reuben? Reuben didn't apply himself. But Asher was a producer. Asher applied himself. And as a result of that, we have the blessings in Asher. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. He will produce. He's not like a Reubenite who has the potential but doesn't produce. 
You want royal dainties in your life? You want blessings in your life? You've got to be a producer. God praise. Man, there's an unction on me to preach this morning. Let me just tell you this. If you're going to school, hallelujah. Do you think you're going to have good grades at the end of school if you don't work for them? No. If you want good grades at the end of school, you're going to have to work for them. You're going to have to prepare in order to have them. If you want good things to happen in your life, it's not just going to happen. You have to prepare to have good things in your life. Okay? What you do early will determine what happens in the latter part. Do you all believe that? Verse 21, Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth good words. It's like a deer got loose out of the trap. The deer was trapped, but he broke free. And now because he's free, he goes forth and shares the good news. You're a Naphtali. You were a deer that was trapped. But now you're free. And because you're free, you're supposed to go forward and shout the gospel. Declare the good news. I'm free. God made me free. How many of you were like Naphtali? You were a deer. You were in the snare, man. But you got your freedom and now you're telling everybody the good news. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And now we come to Joseph now again because we got the double portion aspect. He's getting one portion above his brethren and more is said about Joseph and Judah than the rest of them. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a will whose branches run over the wall. We see he, he, he is locking in a vine that just keeps growing and growing and growing. It grows over the walls. He's so prosperous and so blessed. Overgrown walls. Falling over the side. The Bible continues. It says, The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. What's his response? He's been hurt. He's been grieved. What's his response? When he was shot at. When he was hated. But his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He said he was hurt, he was wounded, but he kept fighting. Kept the bow in his hand. And God gave him strength to defeat his enemies. The mighty God of Jacob. Amen. So he wasn't only fruitful, he was a fighter. His vines overflowed the walls. He was fruitful, but he was a fighter. Now we keep going. The Bible says, Even by the God of thy Father who shall help thee, and by the Almighty he shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of, deep, of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of thy Father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills they shall be the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. The reason why he is so fruitful and he is such a fighter and he is blessed in every realm. He's blessed in heaven and he's blessed in the earth. The reason is is because he separated himself from his brothers. Holiness produces fruitfulness and power in your life. You have to be willing, even among the church, 
to look at people and say, well, if you're not careful, you'll, get, you'll go along to get along. Even if, if you see, well, okay, this is the way they do it there. I'm just going to kind of relax and take it easy with the rest of them. No, you have to be like Joseph. And you have to say, no, I'm going to even separate myself from my brothers in the church. And that doesn't mean I'm going to disfellowship from them. What it means is I choose to go after God on a higher level than they are. And because Joseph lived a better life, Joseph got a double portion in his life. Verse 27, Benjamin shall, shall ravine, raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. It goes back to what I said with Asher, the blessings, the producer, Asher, producing daintings and blessings. Now we see Benjamin getting up early and reaping in the night. He goes to battle early and he reaps in the night. Verse 28, And all these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is that their father spake unto them, and blessed them every one according to his blessing. He blessed them. He charged them and said to them, I am be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite. So he blessed all of his children. Notice he called it all blessing. Even the messages of judgment. He called it all blessings. These things he said affected them all the way through history, all the way to the kingdom age. And have within them promises even of the Messiah. As he gets ready to die, as I come to a close, once again, he is requesting that he be, built, he be buried in the land of Canaan, where we started this whole message. He said, I want to be buried where they buried Abraham and Sarah, where they buried Isaac and Rebekah, and where I buried Leah. When, he got right, when, when Jacob got right with God, he buried Leah there. He said, I want to be buried with Leah. Verse 32, the purchase of the field and the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. This is a type of Abraham's bosom. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered into his feet. Look how he died. He doesn't complain. He doesn't whine. He doesn't feel sorry for himself that he's about to die. He dies full of faith. He says, when I die, don't bury me here. Bury me in the land of promise. And he goes back, goes and lays down in his bed. He gives his last breath to God. And he's gathered to his people. You know what the word gathered to his people means? It doesn't mean they had a funeral service for him. They did. What it means is he went to heaven with Abraham and Isaac. He was gathered to his people with believers. He told him, he said, you bury me in the land of Canaan. Look how he dies. He dies noble. He dies full of faith. He yields up the ghosts and he's gathered. They gathered him to his people. Chapter 50, the Bible tells us that Joseph lives to be 110. 54 years of his life are recorded in the 50th chapter. The last 54 years of his life are recorded in the 50th chapter. I'm just going to tell you the story. Just like Jacob asked them to bury him in the land of Canaan.
Joseph obeys his father. And they have a funeral procession out to the land of Egypt. And they make their way to the land of Canaan to bury their old daddy where he wanted to be buried. All by faith. And Pharaoh sent up an entourage to go with them in that procession. And they took Jacob, the Bible says, and they buried him there in the land of promise. And the scripture says his brothers started worrying now that daddy's gone, Joseph's going to have revenge on us. They started getting full of fear. And Joseph found out about it and he started weeping. He had no intention of retaliating on his brothers. Daddy's gone, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to retaliate. And Joseph makes a declaration. In verse 22, and Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Makar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, the 13th chapter, I believe it is, you check me out. When Moses got ready to leave the land of Egypt, they gathered the bones of Joseph. Joseph, by faith, had declared, God's going God's to take you home. And when He does, I want you to take me home with you. And they gathered his bones and they carried his bones out of Egypt. They didn't just, they didn't just walk out of their living people. They carried a coffin out of there. Joseph had faith. God's going to restore us to the land. He's going to do it. He's going to visit you. He's going to bring you out. Don't forget me when you leave. And Moses didn't forget him. Moses said, go get Joseph. we got to carry him home. Amen. we got to take him to the land of promise. Just like he requested. And then Joshua chapter 24, the Bible says, they buried him in the land of promise. So that the book of Genesis ends with the man dying. And this teaches us the ways of sin is death. The first part of Genesis is sin entered into the world and now as a result of that, death has come. But they die in faith. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we come before You right now and we thank You for Your mighty blessings upon our lives. We thank You for the anointing, God, that has been upon us in this service. We look to You, God, this morning with all of our heart, with all of our strength. We yield our minds to You, our wills to You, our spirits, our bodies, our souls to You. We thank You for cleansing us with Your blood, washing us and purifying us. We thank You today, God, for the blessings that are in our lives. Even strong words of warning that comes to us, Lord. We see them, even them, as the greatest blessings that we could have. 
Lord, as we are surrounded by a liberal world, liberal people, Father God, let us follow hard after You. And know, Lord, that You love us, but on the other side of the coin is judgment. And we bless Your name right now, even for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you lift your hands, I want to bless you right now in the name of Jesus.